This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome to Health and Living with me, T. Shao Ik. Today on the show, joining me is Dato Dr. Nor Zalmi Azizan, immediate past president of Persatuan Dermatology Malaysia. And we'll be talking about skin issues. But, you know, on thinking about this topic, it occurred to me that when we have chest pains, difficulty breathing or stomach problems, for instance, we see a doctor, of course. But when we have skin issues, um, it could be acne, it could be pigmentation, uh, it could be some itching. Our first port of call may not be a doctor or a dermatologist, but it most likely will be someone like a beautician who is not trained in the medical care of skin conditions. So on the show today, I'm asking why does skin health tend to get the short shrift? And uh, what are the risks when you go for certain cosmetic procedures that are carried out by individuals who are, frankly, not qualified to do these? So I'm hoping to explore all of these with Dr. Zalmi. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Zalmi. Thank you, Sir. Thank you. I'm pleased to be here and I'm pleased to just to create awareness among the public about skin health and especially about the aesthetic medical practice because I think it's such a wide area and at the moment a lot of people are doing it and mm. you want to know who can do it exactly uh, a lot of questions that i have which probably are mirrored among our listeners as well in terms of where can they go to do what and who should not be doing what right but you brought up that term aesthetic uh, and if we want to look at what a dermatologist does Compared to um, somebody who's not a medical professional, somebody we see um, very commonly out shop lots, shopping malls, they call themselves beauticians or aestheticians. What's the difference there? Okay. Um, first of all, a dermatologist is a medical doctor and they are actually medical specialists. And all dermatologists in Malaysia are registered in the National Specialist Register, the NSR. So they have gone through a lot of training, learning about the skin, the hair, and also the nails. And, you know, they don't just do aesthetic work. They do a whole variety of things that affects the skin. And you're talking about skin infections, skin cancers, um, even leprosy, which uh, people are not really thinking they have no leprosy these days, but in Malaysia we still have leprosy. And we also deal with uh, sexual transmitted diseases. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of things that the dermatologists do, not just aesthetic or cosmetic um, medical dermatology. So they are medical doctors. Um, and when you talk about beautician, they are non-medical doctors. They are non-medical practitioners. They may be people learning the trade and where do they get their training? Probably in a beauty centre. And what do they do? They do a wide range of things as well, but mainly in looking after the appearance of the skin. So you can simply put it that a dermatologist looks at the health of the skin and a beautician probably look at just the appearance of the skin. Mm. Okay, so But unfortunately, people have to be aware there's a lot of beauticians calling themselves doctors, I would put that into inverted commas, because they probably have some PhD, uh, which are not medical doctors. They are 
doctor of philosophy, but they would use doctors and legally that is not right. And you've seen lots of um, articles or write-ups by you know our ministers saying that people who are not medical doctors should not use the word doctor in setting up whatever practices they're doing. They should not, you know, in a way, sort of misled the public. Mm. So, and some of these beauticians inverted doctors are doing more than what is expected of them. They are doing injections, they're doing lasers, which can be even be detrimental to the patient, um, to the consumers, I would say. Um, before I go into what are the non-medical practitioners doing that they shouldn't be doing, I want to look within the medical profession though mm-hmm. and sort of still try and understand the difference between a dermatologist and say, I know there are aesthetic physicians, there are cosmetic surgeons, there are plastic surgeons. Uh, what are the differences there as well? Okay, first of all, all these three branches, uh, they are all medical doctors, okay? And um, the specialists would be the dermatologists, they are the medical specialists, and the surgical specialists would be your plastic surgeon, okay? And you have the aesthetic physician, but the physician is what the public would call them, but normally we would call them, they are not specialists, they are general practitioners with an interest of aesthetic medicine. Uh, So when you look at dermatologists or um, uh, the plastic surgeon, they're all registered in the National Specialist Register. They've gone through proper structured training where they are probably uh, most of the time to be a dermatologist, it takes about 13 years at least. And our dermatological training is about three years with uh, exams and um, vivas and so forth. Our exams are about two and a half days sometimes. Mm, very <laughs> so, rigorous. So, um, and a plastic surgeon would have their own structured training program as well. And that would take about three to four years, depending on which program they are doing. And um, so it's a long process process to be a specialist. But in a uh, medical aesthetic doctors, they are, as I mentioned, they are general practitioners with an interest uh, in aesthetic medicine. And they would go through short courses where they are trained in a way uh, to learn about aesthetic. And uh, in a way, sometimes some of the aesthetic procedures, they are they are doing it every day. So because one thing about aesthetic procedures is about experience and about, you know, doing it, you know, doing train and everything else. And they are trained every day. So sometimes their techniques are a bit better. But one thing about this, sometimes when they have complications, they always revert to one of us as well. Yeah, so um, as I mentioned, you know, because sometimes some of them are just doing aesthetic work and they don't really do the general practitioner work anymore or sometimes they do it, but probably in a smaller scale. Mm. So these are the difference between the three medical profession, but all of them are medical doctors. So they would know, you know, what complications may arise and, you know, what happens if should there and the complications arise and they would then probably, you know, um, refer to the appropriate channels and um, if, let's say, you know, a person had an anaphylactic reaction, at least they would have basic CPR to start resuscitating the patients because you never know you could be allergic to anything under the sun. You could even be allergic to the injections that you think they are probably safe. Uh, and a beautician has not got that emergency trolley to start resuscitating you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the difference with a medical professional that then specialises in um, providing this kind of care is, of course, first the medical training, the structured 
rigorous education that you go through, not just in aesthetic medicine, but medicine overall as well, right? As your foundation. Mm -hmm. And also um, then knowing how to deal with complications and risks that arise. Let's talk a little bit about that because I'm sure many people are actually not aware that even skincare procedures um, can be invasive and can have these risks. Mm-hmm. Um, share some examples, perhaps. Okay, I mean, all of us would know there are, as you mentioned, there are um, non-invasive procedures, and probably uh, that would probably be like chemical peeling. They're not really that invasive, but even then, having said about chemical peeling, if you go deeper down, it could be invasive. So chemical peeling, you could have a superficial peeling, you could have a moderate, you know, which is not so deep down, or you could have deep um, peeling. So it all depends on the level of peeling that you're looking at. If it goes deep, there is actually already invasive procedures. Anything that transgress beyond the um, dermis, it goes deep down into your uh, fat layer or even your lower dermis, that would be invasive. Okay, and uh, one of the you know, procedures which to me which is not true invasive but minimally invasive is your botulinum toxin injections or even filler injections but they transgress the skin they go into your body and you do not know what reaction you might get because everybody you know may be allergic to something or the other mm. um, I, I'm sure you've heard about the case a few years ago where a model you know was going for liposuction at a beauty center and you know before she could even have the procedure done she you know, had a reaction. So I'm not too sure what's the cause of death. I've not really got the report on that. But looking at the scenario of the case, could it be an allergic reaction she suffered from? Could it be allergic reaction to the anesthetic drug? And I have certain patients who do come to dermatology because they are allergic to the local anesthetic drugs, to lignocaine. And you think it's, you know, it's just uh, something so obscure or safe, but it actually could be detrimental if you have immediate allergic reaction and you get into an anaphylactic shock. Mm. So and what, you could die from yeah, anaphylactic so, shock. And, you know, if you do this in a premises where you don't have an emergency trolley because the action is you need to do immediate action. You need to put a patient on adrenaline. You need to start resuscitating. Can you do that in a beauty centre? Mm. You can't, unfortunately. So it's not even just the procedure itself. There are many layers and steps leading up to that 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 have inherent risks as well. Yes, definitely. A lot of um, centres also do lasers. Let's talk about that a little Mm -hmm. bit. Well, I mean, it may be a bit. A laser has lots of lasers because lasers is specific uh, wavelength of light. Okay, so what are you treating? Okay, first of all, um, whether the beauticians know uh, what are they treating? Do they know how to diagnose? Okay, for example, I mean, I had a case who was uh, referred to me for laser treatment because the patient, because I do a lot of lasers in hospital Kuala Lumpur. So they referred to me for laser treatment because the patient had pigmentation over the cheeks. And I look at the patient and definitely she had pigmentation over the cheeks, but she also had weird pigmentation over the nasal bridge of her nose. And she had mild ulcerations over the lower eyelids. I do not want to laser this patient because I think there's something else happening. I thought she could have a photosensitive rash. And true enough, she had lupus antibodies. So this patient had um, SLE, systemic lupus erythematosus. And if it's left, you know, undiagnosed, 
and you kind of given her more light. I mean, her lupus may be aggravated and she start getting all this antibody flare and that will start damaging her kidneys. And true enough, this patient already had some mild renal impairment um, because it was not diagnosed. So everybody is looking at, you know, okay, what does she has her pigmentation? But you don't look at the whole picture of the patient. So that's one thing, you know, I mean, that you think you could just simply do a procedure. But when you want to do a procedure, what is the diagnosis the patient's having that you want to do the procedure on? I mean, it could be just be a simple pigmentation or it could be something else that leads to the pigmentation. Absolutely. What an excellent example that it shows that you need somebody with medical background, medical education and medical experience yes, definitely. to be able to look beyond the skin, yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, Literally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, let's continue this conversation um, and, uh, you know, go on to discuss uh, what else, uh, if there are any other procedures that, you know, people tend to have misconceptions about that you'd like to highlight the dangers of when carried out by non-medical practitioners. Uh, and we'll look a little bit at regulations as well. What's in place to regulate um, these kinds of um, services in the retail sector? What do the public need to know about protecting themselves? I'm speaking today to Datuk Dr. Norzalmi Azizan, immediate past president of Persatuan Dermatology Malaysia. We're discussing skin health and why it's important to see a dermatologist and what are the risks of going to beauticians and beauty parlours um, for a lot of the skincare procedures out there. So stay tuned to Health and Living BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Shawik. My guest today, Dato Dr. Nor Zalmi Azizan, immediate past president of Persatuan Dermatology Malaysia. Dr. Zalmi is a dermatologist with many years of experience and training, and that's exactly what she's talking about today with me, the importance of having that um, education, the qualifications and the training on the table to deal with skin conditions where um, she's here basically to um, highlight the risks of going to beauticians or beauty centres where they may actually be carrying out procedures and services that are actually um, in the realm of medical professionals, not to be carried out by the non-medical people. But unfortunately, there's a huge grey area there. Lots of things going on out there in the retail sector that we need to be aware of. So um, are there any other common services offered out there that you'd like to highlight um, and their risks? Yeah, well, I mean, the common services, I think people will need to work in tandem as well. I mean, I don't really say that uh, the beauticians has not got any functions in some ways. I said they are um, dealing with uh, the appearance, you know, making your skin look beautiful. So I think they are good in terms of your facials, doing massage, you know, giving you that sort of a feel-good sense in some ways. So to me, anything that's kind of superficial and probably do not go into specific laser light where it could penetrate deeper because some of the wavelengths are quite long and when you have longer wavelength they penetrate even deeper into your skin and some laser like fractional CO2 laser they can cause abrasions onto your skin so to me don't deal with things that are invasive in some ways so they can do like LED light uh, clients or consumers may feel a bit better so they're not 
specifically laser light, but mm. you know, so it's a more of a general light, you know. So to me, um, that's okay. And you see, people need to work together. But once they go beyond their scope of what they're supposed to do and what they're not supposed to do, then you get into trouble. And one of the examples, as I mentioned, you know, is the botulinum toxin. But I had a case quite recently as well about you. Because I have, you see, one thing about dermatologists, we always get the bad that's being done by somebody else, and then they come to yeah, us, to and, and then we have it. to try mm. to fix it. And sometimes. We we can't fix it at all. So this is another case that came to me uh, because a patient had fillers, a breast fillers done at a beautician. And, you know, you have to uh, think that it, you think it's just injections, but where are these fillers done? Okay. in Is it in a hygienic practice? You know, it's not in a proper licensed facility. So this patient probably was, you know, had it done in a beauty centre that did not observe the sterilized you know, procedure or what we call a septic technique. So the patient had severe infection of the breast and she went back to the beautician and the beautician sort of, you know, shrinked out probably 10 mils of the pus from her breast and then, you know, packed her up with some antibiotics. Did not even ask her to see a medical doctor and she was like that, being unwell for one week or so when she presented herself to us very unwell, febrile, with a breast abscess. You know, it looks like a melon that's about to rupture. Mm. And then the whole side of her trunk was red. She had cellulitis. She was, she has septicemia. And, you know, at this point of time, you know, what could I do but refer her to our plastic surgery colleagues because she had to have debridement under OT. And she had at least three debridements and eventually they had to do a mastectomy for the breast. So, you know, I mean, like these are examples, okay, it's probably the like, you know, the other extremes of the examples, but these are true stories. It's not like something I'm making it up, but these are the cases that's been referred to me and what we are seeing out there. Mm. So, you know, it's, we think it's something, but are these cases or are these practices when they start going into your skin, are they using a sterile needle? Yeah. Is that needle being shed with other consumers because what if the first consumer had hepatitis B and then you went over and then you get something injected to you and you would get hepatitis B because I seen I had patients that had was suddenly developed rash so I said what do you have rash for she said oh I just had a home um, a spa home spa mm. by a person that comes into the office and she give IV vitamin C oh. for six of her colleagues uh, vitamin C during lunchtime in an office and I said okay did you share the needle and she said yes we all had the same needle so I mean if you think about it you know I mean in this day of era where people have HIV people have hepatitis B would you want to be sharing a needle with somebody else absolutely not yeah it's just you know there are certain conditions where straight away you'll go and see a doctor Mm -hmm. and Mm. yet you have vitamin C IV injections you have breast fillers They, they are injecting the fillers into you and these are things that uh, it doesn't occur to people that it should not be done yes. anywhere else except in a hospital. Mm. Or a, a facility uh, yeah. which is licensed, a, a healthcare, clinic. A healthcare mm. facility, mm. right? Yes. Um, where are these misconceptions coming from? And it's very much related to the way people view skin or cosmetic issues somehow, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah. Yep. I mean, well, a lot of the times people think skin is cosmetic. 
Okay, and they all have this misconception that you have to have white, glowing skin to make sure that you're healthy. So I, I think that is definitely a misconception because they only think about one function of the skin, which is attractiveness. Mm-hmm. But they do not think that the skin has lots of other functions. And one of its main functions is actually the skin is a protective barrier where it sort of do not want to let bad things coming into you like germs or even, you know, uh, hazardous um, like UV light where you can cause skin cancer and the skin is a protective barrier. You don't want your good things to get out of you. Mm. So it sort of, you know, prevents, you know, all your water, your electrolytes and everything, you know, so it sort of maintains that stabilizing milieu into your body. Mm. So you can see the skin is a protective barrier. Mm. And so not just as a attractiveness organ that people see skin as you know so to me you know a healthy skin does not mean a white porcelain like k-pop skin you know so i think that with one misconception i want to you know uh, make sure that the public know a healthy skin is a skin lacks of you know like dryness and you know it hasn't got any lumps and bumps you know and um, and in a way if you're healthy your skin gives you a glow itself but does not mean you have to be porcelain white. Absolutely. Now, I wonder if cost is a factor in people's minds, that they think that um, seeing a dermatologist or cosmetic surgeon would cost too much, therefore I'll go to a beauty centre. And um, how would you actually put that into perspective? Because that example you gave of a woman who went for a breast filler and ended up with plastic surgery in the end and mastectomy is that shows you cost um, yeah so i mean obviously cost is all boils down to money to cost to dollars and cents going to a specialist is expensive especially you know because we have um, a fee schedule that we actually follow so just a first consultation to a specialist would cost you at least 180 to 235 ringgit. That's, you know, in the fee schedule of uh, the Malaysian Medical Council. So if we go to a GP, they say it's slightly cheaper. But obviously, if we go to a beautician, they half the cost by, you know, a mile probably, you know. So, you know, going to, to get your fillers done, probably in a beautician would cost you about, I'm not too sure, but probably in hundreds. And going to a aesthetic doctor or even a dermatologist would be in the thousands sort of thing. So cost is always the main issue. And the other thing, sometimes, especially now with social media, you know, you see aggressive advertisement, aggressive marketing by the beauticians. You know, I mean, if you turn on probably your Instagram, then suddenly a sponsored page comes in, you know, yes. uh, let's do breast fillers and you kind of like, think, oh gosh, I'm going to do that, you know, but you know, it's probably, it's uh, actually being advertised by a, um, a beautician, a beauty centre, mm. you see, so they have ma- very aggressive marketing principles, which, uh, you know, where the doctors or the medical practitioners do not do that, because we have a code of conducts, we are you know, supposed to be ethically professional and uh, we are subjected to the Advertising Act as well. Mm. So, you know, we don't really advertise to say that laser would 100% gives you porcelain white skin, which you see that in the, in be- the advertising. Uh, yeah, by the beauticians. Mm. So they are uh, aggressively advertising themselves. You know, so if you think about it, a person who is medically, um, in a way, um, subjected to ethics and so forth, they do not need to advertise themselves. So that's a red flag. Mm. Um, If a place or a person is 
um, advertising so aggressively, yes, um, making exorbitant claims yep. about what definitely. their services can mm. do. That's definitely first red flag. Ding ding, this person is not um, yep. a medical person yep. because they're not following any ethics. And then you would see basically they just advertise the procedure and then they say 50% promotion you know, <laughs> and you will get like 300 ringgit to do a um, botulinum toxin injections or something like that and you don't see the name of the doctor that's another red flag because or the name of the person doing it because you know um, you know they said done by uh, certified uh, doctors but they're actually not doctors because mm. if they know, because they do know that now people are getting more smarter and if they see a name of some person, people will go straight away and look it up into the um, Malaysian Medical Council's registry of doctors and that person is not there, definitely that person's not doctor. So they, when they advertise, they just advertise the procedures, you know, saying that this would give you 100% improvement and you would get a 50% discount or something like mm. that. So as consumers, we need to be savvy and yep. look beyond the um, shiny promotions that they're yes, offering. Yes, definitely. So, number one, uh, also if they're not uh, mentioning who is the doctor at the centre providing mm-hmm. these services, um, then you're unable to check Yes. Yeah, if this mm. person is a licensed, qualified practitioner. Um, is there uh, any way to check if a centre itself has a licence to operate in that way? Yeah, there is a way to check. Because I think um, if you go under the Ministry of Health website, under Bahagian Amalan Perubatan, okay, this is the medical division practice. Uh, they, uh, the CCAPs where they give licence is under the medical practice division or Bahagian Amalan Perubatan. So just Google Bahagian Amalan Perubatan, uh, Ministry of Health, and then look for Clinic Swasta. And then you can see all the registered clinics under um, the Bahagian Amalan. So you know if that premises is not a proper clinic, definitely it won't be in that list. Mm. So you can always check with KKM. So then you want to check whether that doctor is actual medical doctor. So you go into the uh, Malaysian Medical Council. So there is merits and you can look at Every practitioner, you know, there is. Mm, so, so you would you. know whether they have a current APC as well. Mm, all right. So, so um, if that centre doesn't fall under the clinic swasta, then they shouldn't be providing any sort of um, medical-like procedures. Yes, anything definitely. that, that mm. does invasive, they penetrate the skin. Yes, anything that sometimes they can't even... like. If you look at the medical act, okay, um, there is a medical act, which unfortunately there is an act, but a lot of the times we don't enforce the act. <laughs> So there is a medical act that say that people who, um, you know, like doing uh, something which is like injections or carrying a stethoscope, you know, where the where the public perceived us perceived them as doctors, which is actually illegal. Mm. You see, and they can be charged. Mm. Okay, I mean, you can actually bring them to. Uh, I mean, you can report them to the police because they f- do not fall under um, KKM, unfortunately. So they will fall under the police. So you can actually report them, make a police report. So it is in the medical act where you know. So, but as I say, sometimes you know the enforcement is not there. Mm. You see. All right. So I guess, you know, we also want to know how are we being protected by the powers that be, by the authorities? What kind of regulations are in place? You know, I I, I guess there are several categories here. Mm -hmm. Number one, if it's medical professionals, are they they doing 
what they are trained to do. Mm-hmm. And if it's non-medical professionals, how are they regulated, if at all? Mm-hmm. Well, um, we all know that medical professionals or medical doctors, uh, first of all, you have to have a degree and so forth, then get registered under MMC. And once you register under MMC, then depending on what you want to do, if you want to be a dermatologist, you go into training. If you want to be a plastic surgeon, you go into a, a proper training as well. And then, but GPs, if they want to do an aesthetic doctor, you know, they want to be an aesthetic doctor, they have to go training as well. So everybody has to be trained. It's not just, you know, without proper training or just look at some YouTube and I'm going to inject. <laughs> so, not YouTube training. Yeah, so, <laughs> you know, they have to be trained. So uh, they are regulated by the Malaysian, Malaysian Medical, Medical um, uh, Ministry of Health. Okay, and because we see that the aesthetic practice is now, it's a booming industry. So Ministry of Health actually has set up this um, main credentialing and privileging of aesthetic um, procedures for registered medical doctors. Uh, they have set this unit up uh, since uh, the year 2007, if I'm not mistaken. So from year 2007 to 2013, a lot of doctors from the general practitioners, uh, dermatologists and plastic surgeons met up together with uh, the Bahagian Amalan to set policies on how to regulate the doctors. Mm. So um, by 2013... Uh, we have actually set a guidelines because I was involved in this and currently I'm the chairperson of this uh, main credentialing and privileging at the Ministry of Health. Uh, so um, we uh, come up with guidelines and 2013, we implement the guidelines. So and whoever uh, we feel that they fit the criteria to practice aesthetic, they will get a letter of credentialing and privileging. This is what we call the LCP letter and they'll be placed in the registry, the national registry of a registered medical practice to practice uh, aesthetic procedures. Mm. So, so you, you look at what you kind can of actually, qualifications? Yeah, so you mm. can look at the Malaysian Medical Council um, and look whether they are doctors. You can look into the uh, National Specialist Register to see whether they are specialists. And you can also go into the National Registry of Registered Medical Practice for Aesthetic Procedures under Bahagian Amalan to see whether they have LCP. So this protects the public you know, in a way um, to you know, for, to see whether the person they're doing are doctors or whether uh, these doctors are credentialed to do the aesthetic procedures. And we look at the non-medical practitioners. Are there any governing bodies? Unfortunately, there is no governing bodies. And how are you going to govern this sort of group of people that goes from house to house sometimes, you know, and if you have a beauty centre, you can... Offices to, yes. to give vitamin <laughs> so, C, ID. Yeah, so, I mean, if it's a beauty centres, probably you can govern them because they have to also register their premise under the Home Ministry or Kementerian and Dalam Negeri. But there are other people, you know, your BOMO that's also doing tread lifts and things like that, you know. So how are you going to um, monitor or, in a way, regulate these people I mm. think so much so they like you know these uh, beauticians are asking for self-regulation so uh, I mean it, you, we can't really fight this war you know to me it's actually to just I mean having um, inviting me here to speak to the public is one step forward because we are creating awareness to the public mm. and that's you know what we should be doing you know you can't fight this war of you know these mushrooming practices by the non-medical practitioners but you can actually teach the public to be careful, to look after yourself, to make sure that whatever you want to put into your body, it is safe. Mm. So this is what, you know, we should be doing. Yeah. 
and we've talked a lot about sort of um, what to look out for, yes. what kinds of um, procedures um, can be risky mm-hmm. uh, and invasive. But, um, you know, a lot of these procedures would require some type of medical grade equipment. The mm-hmm. centers would have yes. to purchase the mm-hmm. lasers, the um, lignocaine, mm-hmm. like you said, mm-hmm. and the botulinum toxin. Yes. And these are all regulated. Um, supplies. Mm-hmm. Um, is there regulation to ensure that these supplies and equipment can only be sold to a licensed practitioner? I mean, there are um, a, um, a unit where we call the Medical Device Authority de- um, Department. Okay, it used to be under KKM, but now they are separately on their own. Uh, so the Medical Device Authority would regulate, you know, registered. Uh, equipments, you know, and the um, NPRA, which is the National Pharmaceutical Authority, would um, they would regulate registered um, drugs and medications. So, but why are we getting equipments which is not regulated? So you ask yourselves why? Because of platforms like Lazada and Shopee. <laughs> So, you, can, <laughs> so. you can buy a laser on yes. Lazada and I'm not, to all our listeners, please don't try it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you can buy things which are, you know, uh, which I'm trying to go on and on to NPRA about, you know, I have people um, able to buy isotretinoin and isotretinoin is actually a controlled drug that can only be prescribed by dermatologists. But and, um, there are four t- isotretinoin which are registered and can only be scri- prescribed by dermatologists. But when you see other people getting isotretinoin, they are the ones which are not registered, mm. uh, which have probably side effects and you don't even know what are the contaminants in those medications. And you, those are the ones that they buy from India under Shopee or Lazada platforms. Even you can buy machines, you can buy anything. You see, so these are why it's very difficult to regulate drugs, machines these days. Not It's not like what it used to be before. Yes, because of the borderless, yes. um, immediate online exactly. um, platforms mm-hmm. out there that, yes, like you said, you can buy anything. Uh, but again, a reminder, please don't do it. <laughs> yes, please don't do it. Because you don't really know the side effects of those machines. Because um, good machines, good equipments, which have done plenty of scientific um, evidence-based studies, okay, and they are from good manufacturers. And good manufacturers, normally they have, you know, um, they would recommend who this machine is supposed to be sold to. So those are good manufacturers because their machines have undergo lots of testing, lots of uh, uh, scientific studies, and they which should tell you that, you know, the uh, what's the percentage of patients, you know, when they this problem, when you use these machines, how many would get a clearance of whatever disease that they have. So it's not so much so with some machines and you don't really know whether it may even cause burning to your face. Mm-hmm. So you think it's safe because it's cheap. So always remember cheap does not mean value for your money. Yeah. And uh, what can the public do if they are aware enough of these wrongdoings in terms of uh, untrained people are doing sort of medical level procedures. What can I do if I discover that? Is there somebody I can report to? Well, I mean, um, at one point I said it's very difficult to find who is the authority who would be looking after non-medical practitioners. Obviously, if it's a medical practitioner, you report straight away to medical practice division or bagian amalan. But you know, if it's non-medical practitioners, they are not governed 
by MMC. They're not governed by um, KKM. So, you know, where do we report? So, you know, at the moment, because we're seeing lots and lots of... Uh, complications had happened, you know, within the non-medical practitioners. So the Bahagian Amalan under the Aesthetic Medical Practice Division has taken it upon themselves to be a channel for the public to complain. So, uh, you know, uh, you can actually email to them, the um, amp at uh, moh.gov.my. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they have taken upon themselves to be the channel to compl- uh, for public to complain and they would direct their complaints to the appropriate, let's say, you know, they feel that this is a police case, they would bring it for the police to investigate. Mm. And then if they think that this actual, is there a proper, um, fac- uh, is it a licensed facility? So they would then direct that complaint to CCAPS to go and investigate. So uh, so please, you know, direct your complaints to the aesthetic medical practice under Bahagian Amalan. Mm. So amp at uh, moh.gov.gov is gov.my. Yes, we'll provide this email address yes. in our podcast description mm-hmm. as well. You can find it there. Um, but also, I think very quickly, Dr. Zalmi, some signs that people can look out for if they have gone for some sort of beauty procedure, um, some signs that something has gone wrong there. And yeah. then, you know, in terms of uh, medical recourse, who should they go and see? Okay. So, I mean, very difficult to say what signs, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But I think one of the most common signs is pain. Because pain can, um, it means a lot of things. If you have an infection, you get pain. If something gone wrong, you hit a nerve, you know, you have pain. But these are sort of, you know, the signs that happened probably a day or two to three days. But there are signs where something that gone wrong almost immediately Okay, like a feeler that's gone wrong, um, you know, when a person not supposed to inject certain feelers and they're not too sure about the anatomy and they inject um, uh, blood vessels and you can go blind immediately. So, you know, it depends on the procedures that you're doing, what are the complications? So that's one thing I said, because in an aesthetic doctor, sometimes these things happen as well, but they have the course of action to do. If this happened, then you're going to get, you know, you're going to inject hyaluronidase to uh, sort of um, uh, neutralize the hyaluronic acid. And then after that, these are the emergency numbers you're supposed to call to get in the eye oculoplastic to do something about. Because uh, there are cases where you heard that patients gone blind following a filler injection. Okay, so it's not like, uh, you know, you get the sign a day later, it's an immediate mm, yes. sign, you mm, see. Yeah. And if you get anaphylactic reaction, like the case of I mentioned before, yeah. you, you know, suddenly low blood pressure, stop breathing, and that's it. So mm. a lot of the times, you know, the causes can be reversible, but sometimes severe complications, you know, or dire complications, it's not reversible. Yeah. Okay, the reversible ones, if the infection is being treated early, we can put an, you know, you ask the patient to go to a medical facility uh, to deal with the infections and we can put a patient, admit the patient in, patient can be start on IV antibiotics mm. and so forth. Yeah. You see, so that can be reversible. And but, that's if you're lucky. Yes. So, but that's one of the good signs is pain. Pain out of ordinary. So, you know, but as I said, that would be a 
sign two to three days later. Yeah, but uh, don't ignore that pain. Yes. But uh, ultimately, we don't want anyone to get into that situation of that severe um, anaphylactic reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those those really irreversible consequences. Yes. So a final message, Dr. Zalmi, to people who are sort of looking around on their phones, on social media, looking at some of these promotions mm-hmm. and thinking about it, what's your message to them? Okay, so first of all, you know, you have to ask yourself, I mean, like, you want doing aesthetic, why do you want to do aesthetic? Okay, I think, you know, first of all, you know, I mean, like, a lot of the times, I think that uh, especially the young adults or even kids, they are so pressured by social media. Okay, so you need to go and first ask, am I going to do, would it change whatever, you know, the course of your life? You want to do this procedure, you see. So to me, first of all, why are you doing it? You have to ask yourself that. And then you say, okay, I need to do that. Then you go and look around. As um, they were saying that you look into your phone, you go into Instagram, you see all these advertisements. So, okay, you look into one of the advertisements that caught your eye. And you say, okay, where are these premises that the, uh, the procedure is carried out. You can check, as I mentioned just now, uh, at CCAPS uh, under Ministry of Health to see whether this premise is actually a licensed facility. Check that out. And then you check and if there's no name of the doctor, call the centre and get the name of the doctor who's doing it and then check his credentials. As I mentioned just now, where you can go mm-hmm. to check his credentials. And then after that, you know, Check again the advertisement. The advertisements look too good to be true. Okay, and follow your instinct. Okay, the most important follow your instinct. You know, if it, your instinct just say this is not right, just turn back. All right, absolutely. And um, we will try and put as much of those details as possible in our podcast description, including links to where you can go yes. and look up all these um, registrations and credentials. But thank you so much, Dr. Zalmi, for joining me for this very, very enlightening discussion about uh, skin health and especially the dangers of getting certain uh, skin care and cosmetic procedures from untrained providers. I've been speaking to Dr. Dr. Nor Zalmi Azizan, immediate past president of Persatuan Dermatology Malaysia. This has been Health and Living on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, Download the BFM app.